You're listening to the Word of Life AG Podcast. Happy New Year! This week, we were honored to have a great guest speaker. Reverend Josh Chiz brought us the word in a message titled, Outsight. Let's check it out. Well, good morning. Happy New Year. It is great to be with you. It's good to worship with you today. It's good to be here. Uh, I I have a a long history here, as many of you know, and uh, just really, really glad to be back. And uh, excited to, uh, to, to speak this morning, grateful for Pastor Tom and Megan to uh, both welcome me and, and uh, have us here. And, I, you know, with my roots here, that some of you know me and, and know I grew up here at the church, was on staff here at the church, and just uh, excited to know that God brought the right man and woman and family to this church to lead and to minister to you and to serve you. And uh, grateful for pastors Tom and Megan. So let's just give them a, a round of applause. Grateful for you both. You have great pastors and a great team that's here. And uh, it's just wonderful, wonderful to still be a part of this and really make this uh, continue for this to be my second home. You know, in many ways, it's, it's a second home. I was beginning to think that I was just the kind of COVID fill-in. You know, I, I don't know if you remember, but I, I, I was scheduled to speak. It was literally the first week that services were shut down because of COVID. It was back in March of 2020. And at the time, my uncle was pastoring here. And I thought for sure he was going to say, listen, it's the first week online. Let me preach, you know, whatever. And uh, I was prepared for that. He's like, no, you're going to do it. And then I think I was the first sermon opening back up services, wasn't I? I think I was the first, uh, first message here, something like that, I don't know. And, and, uh, and not too long ago, uh, one, of the, one of the pastors here was going to preach, or one of the staff members was going to preach, and, and they thought maybe he had COVID, and they said, hey, can you be ready to fill in? So I'm just glad to be here unrelated to COVID, all right? So just happy for that. Um, but uh, again, excited to be here. I want to share a little bit. Many of you may not know, but uh, I'm involved with ministry, chaplaincy ministry, and uh, you guys support us. And so I just want to share a little bit about who we are and what we're about. Um, we're, I, I'm, I'm, uh, I started a ministry a number of years ago called Critical Support Services. And in short, just to summarize what we're doing, is uh, I'm, I'm a missionary to law enforcement officers. I'm a missionary to first responders. And so you could throw the, the slide up there uh, about that if you have it. Uh, I'm also uh, with Marketplace Chaplains. And uh, I've been just a year now with Marketplace Chaplains and thrilled to be able to serve our chaplains who are serving in companies all throughout New York State, and I oversee also the Lehigh Valley area. And one of the great things about this ministry is I tell people what I do, and they're like, I didn't even know that was a thing. But we have chaplains in companies all over the nation. We have, in Marketplace Chaplains, we have over 2,000 chaplains nationwide serving almost 400,000 employees throughout our nation. And these are privately owned or publicly owned companies at times. And uh, it's just incredible to be a part of that. Uh, Real quick, another slide here is with my family. Introduce them real quick. Uh, I think they're taking up a whole row back there. And uh, got my amazing wife, Rachel. Uh, who is a saint. If you know her, you know, you know that to be the, the case. And I've got Jeremiah and Joshua and Jerry and Josiah and Joseph and James 
And uh, pretty soon we're going to have officially another family member because Jeremiah is getting married in July. Donovan, we welcome you. So uh, give my family a round of applause. So thank you. Thank you. Uh, real quick, with critical support services and, and, and with uh, Marketplace Chaplains, uh, this is, this is uh, there's a, a slide with our mission statement about, uh, our purpose statement about what we do. We'll come back to this, but I want to just kind of give you a glimpse as to why I felt uh, called to do what I do. Let me ask you a couple questions. How many of you know of professions where the, where the toll, the actual impact of the profession is measured by the number of members who can do that job and have their marriage survive, right? Think about that. Like you, do, you, you have an occupation, you have a job. How many jobs do you know of where they're actually measuring how many of you can do that job and have your marriage survive? There's a, there's a few of them, right? We could think of a few. How many of you think about or know of a job that the number of members are measured by how many are driven to alcohol addiction or drug addiction in the midst of that job? How many of you know of a job that is measured by the number of those who end up in burnout? Right? There's a number of them. There's a number of them. Pastoring is actually one of them. How many of you know of a job that's measured by the number of those members who end up with debilitating PTSD? Right? Perhaps you could think of a few professions for each of those, but I'm talking about professions that are measured by every one of those things. Right? And how about this one? How about a profession that's measured by the number of members who are killed while they're doing that job versus the number of members who kill themselves because of that job? And of course, what I'm talking about is the, the profession of law enforcement. Right? These, are, these are actual things that are measured by those who, who are involved with law enforcement. In New York State, we have about 70,000 law enforcement officers. Those are uh, a little bit old stats, so that might be less now, more now, I'm not sure. Probably less based on the exodus from law enforcement in many ways. We have about 700,000 law, law enforcement officers nationwide. Nearly one out of three first responders, now this expands beyond law enforcement, but nearly one out of three first responders develop behavioral health conditions, including, but not limited to, depression and PTSD, post-traumatic stress disorder. That's compared with one out of five in the general population. According to GovTech's Emergency Management Magazine, the divorce rate for law enforcement personnel is estimated to be around 75%. More than 80% of firefighters experience symptoms of mental health issues, and almost 25% of dispatchers have symptoms of PTSD as well. And I, I, you know, I don't want to keep going with stats, but I do want to look at this. Uh, there's a slide here that shows the number of felonious deaths, a uh, number of essentially uh, deaths where officers are killed uh, feloniously, you know, felonies. So dis there, you can see despite the rise in cop assassinations over the last couple of years, generally the felonious murder rate is dropping up, up until last year where we've had this spike. But you compare that to suicides, and it was a com it's a completely opposite story. It continued to go up right up until 2020. 
went up every year significantly. And we're down because of 2020. And I'm hoping part of that is because of the progress we're making in reaching uh, many law enforcement officers with these issues. I hope that we're helping the cause, but um, I'm concerned that that rate is actually just kind of deferred because of 2020 and some of the implications of that. The thing about this number, these numbers uh, with the suicides is that a lot of them are expected or estimated to be very, very low because uh, our federal partners, federal agencies do not report suicides. So it's expected that it could be upwards of four to 500 uh, many of those years. And then think about this with workplace, right? So marketplace chaplains with workplace, think about where you've worked and the people who uh, you're with day in and day out and they're broken broken, and they're hurting and they put on a facade just to make it through the day. Uh, many of them not even putting the facade on anymore, right? There's, there's some stats here. Society of, uh, for Human Resource Management says more than a third out of a thousand people surveyed by this organization said they hadn't done anything to cope with their negative feelings, and only 7% had contacted a mental health professional, right? Think about um, the amount of people who are dealing with, with, with issues. Only 7% have actually reached out for help. We're facing a very real mental and emotional health crisis in our world. And add this to the reality that so many in law enforcement, so many in your workplace end up in a crisis of faith because of it, right? They may not identify a faith that they have, but their worldview is suddenly shocked by what they're dealing with, and they may never on their own step through the doors of a church. And God has placed us strategically through critical support services and marketplace chaplains among thousands of first responders and people in the workplace. He's strategically given me an opportunity to bring life the life-transforming truth of the gospel to men and women who might never otherwise be exposed to the truth. And so I believe God's placed us there for such a time as this. And I'm grateful to you for your support in all of that. So thank you again. That's, who, that's what Critical Support Services and Marketplace Chaplains is doing. Thank you for your support in that. Uh, I want to get into the Word. Let's jump into that. If you could open your Bibles to John chapter 4. I want you to cut me some slack. I haven't preached since last year, all right? So get, be, be, I, I had to do it. I had to. Thank you. Oh, come on. I think you threw one out there too. I don't know. We're going to be talking about the story of the woman at the well. It's a long text, and uh, I want to read it, and then we'll uh, break it down a little bit. We're going to start in verse 3. It says this. It says, So Jesus left Judea and went back once more to Galilee. Now he had to go through Samaria. We're going to talk about that. So he came to a town uh, in Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of the ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down at the well. It was about noon. And when a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into the town to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, You're a Jew, and I'm a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews did not associate with Samaritans. Jesus answered, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that asked you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. 
Sir, the woman said, you have nothing to draw with and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob who gave us the well and drank from it himself as did also his sons and his livestock? And Jesus answered, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water that I give him will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. And the woman said to him, sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to be coming here to draw water. And he told her, go and call your husband and come back. I have no husband, she replied. And Jesus said to her, you're right when you say you have no husband. The fact is you've had five husbands and the man you now have is not your husband. What you have just said is quite true. Sir, the woman said, I can see that you're a prophet. Our ancestors worshipped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. And woman, Jesus replied, believe me, a time is coming when you will worship the Father, neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming and has now come when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth, for they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is spirit, and his worshipers must worship in spirit and in truth. And the woman said, I know that Messiah called Christ is coming. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. And then Jesus declared, I, the one speaking to you, am he. There's so much going on here, and we're going to unpack it. But now remember, the disciples aren't with him at this moment. In verse 27, it says, Just then the disciples returned, and now we're surprised to find him talking with a woman because culturally that wasn't done. And so not only is she Samaritan, she's a woman, and for all these reasons, it's kind of uh, uh, surprising that Jesus is talking to her. And so picture this, Jesus is standing there, the disciples' arms are there full of groceries, and they're sitting there thinking, What is he doing? And then John does something strange in this text when recording this story. He does something that you don't typically do when you're telling a story. He begins to say and include stuff that didn't happen, right? When you're telling a story, you don't typically say, hey, well, this didn't happen and this didn't happen, but this happened. But for whatever reason, John does that here. He includes, he says, no one asked, what do you want? Like none of us asked, none of us asked Jesus that. Hey, is there anything you need, Jesus? And, and none of us asked the obvious question, Hey, Jesus, why, 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 why are you talking to her? The rabbi is doing something outside the cultural norm, and John is realizing as he's writing this story, it was all on our minds, but nobody said a thing about it. And why are these non-things included in Scripture? It's because it, it's important, and it helps us understand their mindset. And then it continues, it says, Then leaving her water jar, the woman went back to town and said to the people, listen to these words, Come see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Messiah? And so she's gone not too far to her neighborhood in this area of Samaria. And says, I think I found God. And so they respond in the entire town. They came out of the town and made their way toward him. 
And then there's this funny verse, right? I mean, this dramatic moment. Jesus has now made him, revealed himself to this woman. She's re- realized who he is, the Messiah. She's gone back to her town, and this whole community is now coming to encounter Christ. And the disciples, in verse 32, urge Jesus, Hey, Rabbi, uh, why don't you eat something? <laughs> Revelation is happening. A whole town is about to be transformed. And uh, the disciples are like, hey, Jesus, you want some Pizza Hut? Right? Like they're, they're ready just to feed him. And I think the same thing happens to us a lot of times, right? I think of myself when I go to the grocery store. I think about when I'm on a, I don't know about you, but I'm typically on a mission when I'm in a store, right? Like I, wanna, I just want to get in. Every once in a while, I'll meander through the grocery store. But for the most part these days, it's like I can go in. I want to get to my list. I want to get done. I want to get to the line as quick as I can because, you know, if you, ta- if you wait just a few seconds, like 13 people with three grocery carts are going to get in front of you, right? So I, I, I'm in a, I'm on a mission. I want to get done. And, and so you load your car. You just finished getting the frozen stuff. You're ready to check out. You're ready to roll out. And maybe you run into somebody you know. Maybe you see something and you know that there's a need right there. And you just want to get your groceries home, right? And it's easy to miss those God moments, those God-ordained moments when he's placed you there to help change someone's life. And Jesus uses this moment to bring up a spiritual truth to these disciples. He says to them, I have food to eat that you know nothing about. And not getting it, the disciples say, could someone have brought him food? (laughs) They're missing it. They don't get it. And Jesus says, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. He's saying, hey guys, I'm hungry too, but we got some, we've got some work to do and you are missing, you are missing the moment. And he says, don't you have a saying, it's still four months until harvest? I tell you, open your eyes. Open your eyes. He's saying, let me tell you what the problem is. Your problem is you can't see the world the way that I see it. Because if you did, you wouldn't be worried about lunch right now. And it's so easy for us to get distracted in this world around us, right? In our social media-oriented world, in our 24 news hour, hour news cycle uh, world, in our highly partisan world, in our biased news world, it's so easy for us to allow our focus to get distracted from what matters most. And Jesus is saying, hey, open your eyes and look at the fields. They are ripe for the harvest. And I'm glad to say, you church, you see the fields, you have a missions vision. I know you give out of yourselves to sow seeds into the kingdom beyond yourselves. But what happens often in the church and what can happen with us as individuals is what Second Peter refers to as a spiritual nearsightedness. You see, when you get nearsighted, you can be unproductive because... It's hard to see what's out there. I've been nearsighted most of my life. I remember after years of having glasses, I was a kid, but I remember after years of having glasses, hearing that it was called nearsightedness, and I'm like, 
no, I can't see far. No, that's my problem, right? It was confusing to me. And I think, I think it's the only medical diagnosis that is uh, named for what's not wrong, right? It's, it's a confusing thing, right? I can't see far, so I'm nearsighted. No, no, I can see fine near, near right? But no, it's, it's the opposite. It's, but you don't like say, you don't diagnose a broken leg with, hey, your arm works fine, right? It's, it's a strain. I don't, I don't understand it, but that's the reality, right? So for the first time in my life, I, I, I went to uh, the, the, I always forget which one it is, optometrist. Thank you. You've been teaching me since I was like three, so thank you. appreciate it. Um, so I went to the optometrist. I get my eye test done, and there's this guy who, uh, you know, he had very strong accent, very hard to understand him, and he says to me, he says, you need bifocals. I said, no, 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 I don't. I said, I can see, I just, I just have to take my glasses off. And this is the first this has happened, right? For the first time in my life, I have to start taking my glasses off to be able to read my phone. By the way, I told you I'm nearsighted. Uh, you are all a bunch of blurry folks. You look better than ever. I, better than... <laughs> but so I said, no, I don't, need, I don't need bifocals. I can read fine as long as I take off my glasses. He says, no, you need help. I said, no, I don't need help. I just need to take my glasses off. And he comes over, he whips the thing right back in front of me, and he starts flicking those little lens things, and he says, see, you need help. <laughs> I said, all right. So these are my first uh, bifocals, my, my progressive lenses. Anyway, where am I going with this? What, what does it mean for the church to be nearsighted? When you can't see something, you dismiss responsibility for that thing, Right? If I didn't have my glasses on, it would be really hard for me to engage with you, right? Obviously, my job here is to engage with you, and so I would do my best to do that. But I'll tell you what, if we were here for an extended period of time, it would be very easy for me just to kind of focus in on what I can see here. Because you're all blurry. I can't see it. And so what we end up doing is living in the world that we can see. And Jesus is saying, open your eyes. But it's easy in those times of our lives to shift our focus on the things that are closer to us, right? In political turmoil, in isolation, in times of grief or despair, the longer we go in life, sometimes the more the world seems to get distant from God. It's easy to isolate and look at what's close and surround ourselves with those who see the way that we see, right? It's why I called this message Outsight. When we're nearsighted, we can't see far, and we tend to get inward and even sometimes impress ourselves with our insights about God. And Jesus is saying, no, no, you got to look out. There are whole fields, whole fields of people. Open your eyes. So what did the disciples miss? What didn't they see? What did they miss when they were off getting their groceries? when we read the first part of the story. The scripture says in verses 3 and 4 that John, or Jesus needed to pass through Samaria. Actually, there were two ways to get from Judea to Galilee. One, of you take, one, one route takes uh, you up the Jordan River Valley. It's soft and it's flat. The other route takes you through Samaria, and it's rocky and mountainous and tumultuous. And so to borrow a line from Frost, Jesus took the, load, the road less traveled. He was on a mission. He was on a mission. 
It's one of the things, just a little aside here, it's one of the things I love about chaplaincy. It's one of the things that I really appreciate about chaplaincy ministry, right? It's, it's kind of the, the rougher road that's, that's less traveled. You're, you're going into terrain. You're going into places that, uh, you know what, not everyone appreciates your presence there. And, and, and you're talking to people uh, who didn't step into church seeking out God, right? Uh, they're just there to do their job, and you're there. And so Jesus did the same thing. He starts this conversation knowing that she was a Samaritan, that she was a woman, that she would question him, that she was with her sixth man, and that she was hurting. But where was he going? He was going back to this spot where Jacob first met Rachel. And the Jews and Samaritans were one people, and they shared a common faith, recognizing Abraham and Isaac and now Jacob, ultimately Joseph, and David. They shared this common faith and had this common heritage and a common devotion to Yahweh. And it was back in the days before they went their separate ways, pointing their fingers at each other and accusing each other of infidelity. And so Jesus comes back to the spot where it's all started. And like his forefather Jacob, he comes in with a proposal in his hand. But it's not a marriage proposal. His proposal had to do with reconciliation. And that was his mission. And incidentally, he didn't try to speak theologically to her. He used everyday examples to communicate timeless truths. He didn't wow her with his theology. He didn't try to impress her. He won her over through a conversation, which is another reason I appreciate chaplaincy. So here he is on this mission to reconcile the world back to God. 2 Corinthians 5, 18 and 19 says, All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation, that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them, and he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. That's what this is all about. God reconciled you and I back to him with a mission to help reconcile reconcile the world back to him. And the gospel should do such a work in us that we can bring the hope of the gospel to the world around us. God cares so much about this that he dedicated a whole chapter to showing us how important the lost are to him. Many of you are probably familiar with it, right? Luke chapter 15. And Jesus is questioned by who he, about who he's hanging out with. And he gives these illustrations, right? He talks about the lost sheep. It says a hundred sheep, one gets lost. I'm going, the shepherd's going after the one, right? Somebody, somebody doesn't have much money, loses a coin. They're, she's going to rip that whole house apart till she finds that coin, right? The focus is the lost coin. And of course, the, the story of the prodigal son, the lost son. And if you've ever lost something of value... You know that when, you're do, when you do that, you don't stop and do an inventory of what you have, right? When you're, when you're on a rampage trying to get out of the house, trying to find your keys because that's what you need to drive, you don't pause and say, well, hey, at least I have my wallet, right? You don't do that in that moment, right? You're focused on what's lost. And God is communicating the same thing through Luke chapter 15. You're distracted by what is lost, 
Open your eyes. Open your eyes. All you think about when you have that moment and when you're in that moment is that you have something of value that is missing. I often, when I'm reading Luke chapter 15, I think of this moment uh, back when I was pastoring in Auburn. And um, oftentimes my wife and I had this little thing that we would do because I would get out of the house early on a Sunday morning get to the church, she's up dealing with the kids, getting them up, gets them to church, and then she, for most of our ministry, has volunteered in kids' ministry, and so she's there with the kids all morning, not just ours, but now everybody's kids, right? And so at the end of service, we kind of had this thing where she would walk into the, the, the sanctuary, I'm praying or talking or whatever, we make eye contact and she hands off the kids, like, here you go, they're yours, right? <laughs> give, me, give me a couple minute break. And so this particular Father's Day, uh, we're doing that, and at the time it was just Jeremiah, uh, Joshua, and Josiah was a little guy. And uh, we're, we're, we have this event on Father's Day. We we're doing a barbecue out front. We're, we're, I think we're doing shish kebabs or something like that. And so we're out, we got a whole bunch of people out grilling. And I'm talking with this one lady and praying with this one lady. And I'm doing kind of the pastor thing because uh, she walks in and it's just Josiah at the time. She like, is like, here, here you go, right? And I'm like, all right. And I give her the thumbs up and she goes off. She's helping probably out front with the cooking and all that. And I'm talking and praying with this lady. And as I'm doing so, I'm kind of doing, doing it with one eye open, and I realize that Josiah's little head that was bopping around the pews in the sanctuary is no longer doing so. And so I rapidly wrap up my prayer, and I say, excuse me, I need to find my son. Uh, because, here's the thing, um, a, a, just a week prior, he had run out the front door. We lived next door in the parsonage at the time. He had run out the front door and, and bolted right for the road. And so, you know, he's just a little guy. And so, of course, Rachel grabbed him and, um, you know, told him not to do that. But he's a little guy. We don't know if he's going to do it again. And so I'm also a paranoid father, right? And realize, like, there are people who just, you know, do th things to kids. And I'm, like, I'm just paranoid about it. So I, I'm, I'm worried one way or the other. And so I say, excuse me. And I walk to the back of the sanctuary. And I'm looking for, uh, for Josiah as I do. And I come upon Jeremiah. He's coming in, and I, I don't know if he remembers this, but I, I, uh, I, here's what I did not say to Jeremiah. I did not pause and say, Jeremiah, I just want you to know how much I love you. I, I, you are so valuable to me. You are precious, Jeremiah. He is. He's all those things, believe it or not, all right? He is all those things. But I didn't take that moment to say those things because what mattered in that moment was my lost son. Right? So I said, Jeremiah, go upstairs, see if you can find Josiah. I don't know where he is. And I progressed to make my way outside, figuring that's probably where he went. And I come across Josh. And same thing, right? I didn't speak of his value to me and how wonderful he is, even though he's going to be taller than me someday, right? But he is. He's valuable to me. All those things, same thing that I would say to, to Jeremiah, but not in that moment, right? I said, hey, go help your brother find Josiah. I don't know where he is. What was lost is what mattered at the moment. And I, I proceeded to step outside, and there he was with his arms wrapped around Rachel's leg, right? She didn't, she didn't get the break she deserved. But, but the, the takeaway out of that, right, is that, that what was lost is what mattered, 
And it's the same thing for us. It's the same thing for our God. What is lost is what matters. And he's saying, open your eyes. Open your eyes. So a few takeaways from this story, and I'll be quick and and wrap up with these. The first thing that uh, I believe out of the story we can take is that we are the church, but we exist for the broken world around us. We are the church, but we exist for the broken world around us. Jesus was sitting at this well, and when the woman arrived, he got right to the point. He said, give me a drink. And after some exchanges, he says these words. He says, whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never thirst again. And my take on this is that people think they know what they need, but what they need is a life-changing encounter with the living God. And when Jesus is saying, open your eyes, the fields are ripe, what he's calling us to do is bring people to the well, the well that when they drink of it, they will never thirst again. And I just want to say, church, this is your primary calling. You, you as a church, have other work to do. You as individuals have other work to do. But this is number one, right? If you've been to that well and you've, you've had that drink... I don't need to convince you of this because you recognize that that is what is needed most. And so what's the best way to do this? Let me encourage you. The best way to do this when you're encountering someone who is a part of those fields that Jesus is saying, hey, open your eyes. I think the best way to do this is to share your own personal story. I think the most effective tool in reaching those who are far from God is is not telling them what's wrong with them, but it's telling people what Christ has done in you. Acts 1.8 tells us we are witnesses. We're witnesses. What does that mean? It means we're not the judge, right? Think about a courtroom. We're the witness. We're on the witness stand. We're not the judge. We aren't the prosecutor. We are simply there to tell our side of the story. To tell people the difference that God has made in your life. And here's what I love about this. You don't need to be a biblical scholar. You don't need to be a theologian. Right? People, people will debate you about scripture, but they can't debate you about what God has done in your life. Right? That's your story. But here's the thing about this. You have to have a story. Jesus said whoever drinks of the water that I will give them will never thirst again. And my question is, have you encountered Christ in such a way that you can say, that's my story? He's changed me. He's transformed me. I know I'm not perfect, but man, I I never want to go back. You have to have a story. And if you're going to convince people that they need this experience, then you need to have experienced a life-altering encounter with the living God. When did you drink and it permanently quenched your thirst? And she said, sir, give me this water. The Greek word for sir there, kurios, is also the word for Lord, and it means the same thing as husband, and that's why this converse, where this conversation is going. And here's something we miss in this story. You see, Jesus in this whole thing is not confronting the woman's adultery. 
he's confronting the Samaritan's idolatry. He's not asking her, who have you been sleeping with? He's asking, to whom do you ascribe your allegiance? And that's why she responds the way she does, saying, hey, are you asking me to forsake my fathers and come over to Mount Zion? And he says, woman, believe me, the hour comes and now is when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father seeks such to be his worshipers. And she still didn't get it. And she says, I know that the Messiah comes, he who is called Christ. And Jesus says, hey, it's me. I am he, the one who speaks to you. And she goes off running, telling her community. And that's the last takeaway that I have out of this is when our eyes are open, when we've had that encounter and we have our own story to tell, the best way to go about this is to point people to Jesus. Point people to Jesus. Don't address their morality. Their answer, even though it's good and right, their answer is not church attendance, is not friends, is not counseling, is not AA, right? It's all good stuff. It's important stuff, particularly being connected to a church. But more than anything, they need an encounter with Jesus. The story of the Samaritan woman is a story of reconciliation, about a God who sent his son to reconcile people back to him. And he's commissioned us to do the same. And it starts with opening our eyes and seeing the world around us who is thirsty. And recognizing that we are the church and we exist for the broken world around us. And the most powerful message that we can share is what the gospel has done in our lives. We need to point them to Jesus. Because when they have a revelation of who he is, it'll change them. And it has the potential to change their whole community. My food, said Jesus, is to do the will of him who sent me to finish his work. I tell you, open your eyes and look at the fields. They are ripe for the harvest. Let's close in prayer. Lord, we thank you. We thank you for your word today. Lord, we thank you for this reminder, Jesus, of your love for us of your mission to reconcile us back to the Father through what you've done. Lord, we thank you for this promise that you've given to us that once we encounter you, Jesus, that once we've tasted of, drank of what you have to give us, Lord, we will never be the same again. And we thank you for the call to partner with us and allow us to be your ambassadors to the world around us to share this wonderful truth. With your heads bowed and your eyes closed, I just want to give an opportunity this morning because I don't, I don't know everybody here. I don't know what your situation is, what your story is. I don't know if this is your first time or hundredth time to church. I don't know if it's your first time or second time, but you've got a relationship with Jesus. I don't know if it's your hundredth time and you still don't. But as I talk about sharing your story and that need to have your story, hopefully what you understand is your story is not, hey, I went to church a hundred times. 
Your story is not, I read the Bible and it was really neat. It was really powerful. Wow, it was really interesting. Your story has to be a life-transforming and eternity-transforming encounter with the true and living God, with Jesus. And I just want to encourage you, if you're here this morning, you haven't had that. It's available to you today. At this moment. And so I'm just going to, I'm going to pray a prayer. And I'm going to ask everybody in the room if you would just repeat after me as we pray this prayer. And if you're here and you're saying, I haven't, I don't have that story. I haven't had that encounter. I haven't had that experience. I want to encourage you to pray this prayer just as a starting point of that. To say, God, I, I've been trying to do it on my own. I give my all to you. I receive what you've done for me. And as you do that, you open the door for him to do this transformative work, for the Holy Spirit to do a transformative work in your heart and in your life. So let's, let's, uh, let's pray. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, I believe that you died for me. I want to follow you. I invite you to be Lord of my life. Help me follow you every day. I want to leave my old life of sin behind. Heal my broken relationship with you. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Let's give God praise for every person that made that decision today. Amen. Amen.